everyone, and welcome to the Miriam Knight Show, where we explore the many faces of consciousness in action. I'm the publisher of New Consciousness Review, where we get to see and review the latest books and films having the greatest impact on the global awakening. The best of them are covered in our online multimedia magazine, and I have the privilege of interviewing many of these authors here, like our guest today, Leslie Lyle. Leslie is the author of Laugh Your Way to Happiness, Use the Science of Laughter for Total Well-Being. She's an applied positive psychologist, clinical hypnotherapist, and laughter trainer, teacher, and facilitator. She's a visiting lecturer at the Masters of Science of Applied Psychology course at Bucks New University in High Wycombe in the UK, and she runs workshops, training programs, and retreats that help people understand how to relax and be happier in the chaotic world we live in. Laughter, she says, is the key to a happier life. If you want to feel relaxed and calm, learn to laugh more, and for some people that just means remembering to smile. Leslie, I'm so delighted to have you. Thank you very much, Mary. It's a great pleasure to be here. Leslie, tell me, what turned you on to this whole laughter thing? Um, a series of coincidences, really. Um, when I uh, read a book, and I do know, I, I remember it was by Barbara Fredrickson. I can't remember which part of the book it was. But I remember saying to myself, right, in future, I'm not going to make excuses not to do anything. So it's okay if I don't want to do anything, but I, I won't not do something because I can't be bothered. And then shortly after that, I read an article about laughter yoga in India. And I was actually on my way to India at the time. And so when I got to my hotel, I wasn't going to bother to ask about it, but then I remembered I had to. And um, I spoke to the um, concierge, and I said, have you ever heard about something called laughter yoga? And he sort of nodded, told me to sit down, made a phone call. And then I found myself talking to Dr. Kataria, who founded laughter yoga in India, in Mumbai, in 1995. And by the end of that phone call, I knew I needed to find out more about laughter. And I ended up going to India and training with him. That's really fascinating. I remember reading articles about him and, and seeing this image of thousands of Indians in a great stadium laughing away, laughing their heads off. Mm. It was quite yes. hilarious because laughter is so infectious. It is indeed. And in India, I think in Mumbai today, there's, there's probably 30 or 40 of these laughter clubs. They usually meet, um, in, as you say, in crowds of people in um, in the open space in parks, and they just come together and, and laugh. Although when Dr. Kataria started, he, he started out just with five people. But its popularity, it's not just spread around Mumbai and India, but all around the world. It reminds me of the images that you have of, of um, Chinese people in the parks doing Qigong and Tai Chi. Yes. Um, it's interesting that in India, what seems to have taken root really is this laughter yoga. Yes. Yeah, I Wonder think in some ways they're quite similar. Um, when the, in the laughter yoga, the, the sort of traditional laughter yoga in India, um, people are doing exercises, and it, it's it's just very 
mindful laughter, which also things like Qigong and Tai Chi is. Um, the difference is the, I think the Tai Chi and Qigong is very relaxing, and laughter is relaxing afterwards. At the time, it's pretty exhausting, but very exhilarating. I was very interested that you talked about literally laughing until your ribs hurt and your, your chest hurt until it was so yeah. painful. Yeah, I suppose, absolutely. You know, we've all had the experience of being tickled when we were uh, children, um, probably sometimes mercilessly and, and begging for mercy. Yes. Actually, tickling can be pretty cruel. Um, I, I, I've never really suffered from, I'm not particularly ticklish, but I think um, that is a real torture from what I, I understand. But, but if you remember, I'm sure you can, and most people will be, in, particularly at school, and, and laughing, and that paradox of trying to stop laughing, and the more you try to stop, the more you can't, and, and then other people being affected by that laughter. Um, it really is exhilarating. It's a lovely feel of it. Um, but most of us, as we get older, we lose that. And laughter comes something that even when we're amused by something, it just comes for brief periods. And the wonderful thing about laughter yoga or, or the laughter sessions that I run is that we can extend that by self-induced laughter and choosing to laugh. We can laugh for minutes at a time. And it is, it is very aerobic, it's very hard work, but it gives us fantastic rewards. Tell us about the physiological benefits of laughter. The physiological um, benefits are many. I mean, one of the things about laughing is that we have to take in massive amounts of, of air and we breathe out longer than we breathe in which is why it's um, referred to as laughter yoga, because it's, it's not that there's any yoga poses, but it's the, that sort of breathing which has got the yoga, um, which is yoga, I suppose, um, a pranayama breathing. Um, so we're getting lots of oxygen, so lots of the physiological benefits we get are from having this massive amount of oxygen coursing around our body into our brains and really making us feel energised. And also, we, uh, we, we get a relaxation response, so it's a fantastic way of releasing stress and anxiety and, and pent-up emotions, and that can have um, a profound effect on our immune system. So if we do this regularly, obviously just doing it once or twice won't, won't help you, but if you do it regularly, it will help you become calmer in, in your life, it can affect your vagal nerve which can actually slow your heartbeat. You, you can um, increase the efficiency of your diaphragm, because as you know, when, when you're laughing, it's, that's the part of your um, body that's, that works excessively hard. So that means that um, you start to breathe better in, in your everyday life. And that also sends messages to your brain that you're, you're feeling more calm. So you become calm and relaxed. And then there's all the, the other benefits that come from that, so feeling more resilient, more able to cope with things, and to take life less seriously, because laughter, once, once you release that, or, or re-engage re with that laughter that you had as a child, it puts things into a different perspective, and I think you start to take things less seriously. Mm. You 
studied psychology and then NLP and then became a hypnotherapist, and you eventually went into something called positive psychology. What is that, and how is it connected to laughter? Now, positive psychology is, is a branch of, of uh, what we call classic psychology. But for the last 100 years, um, psychologists have been looking at what makes us not function very well. So looking at mental ill health, depression, anxiety, phobia, and things like that. And um, Martin Seligman, also in 1995, so about the same time as Dr. Guattari was in India, uh, Martin Seligman was in America, and he decided, you know, we've spent all this time looking at what makes us not very well, and um, not very mentally healthy, but how about the things that do? And so positive psychology is, 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 a, is, a, is the same scientific-based research um, as, as normal psychology, but it's looking more at what makes us flourish, what makes us have optimum health and well-being, what makes us feel good. And, and basically, it's often referred to as the science of happiness. Um, the connection with laughter is that in order to feel happy, we have to have positive emotions. And the more positive emotions we have, the happier we feel. Now, when we laugh, the curious and wonderful thing about it is that when we're happy, we tend to laugh. But if we start laughing first, we release this cascade of happy chemicals into our brain and send the message, oh, look, you know, we're acting happy. So we actually become happy. We, we have the same response. It seems not to matter which comes first. But rather than waiting for yourself to feel deliriously happy, it's um, usually more effective to do the exercise and, um, and start that off. So that's the similarity, really. And there's a great correlation between health and happiness. And so when we have uh, laughter yoga or laughter sessions, what we're doing is, is we're increasing our positive emotion and, and our healthy state. So getting lots of benefits all at the same time. I thought it was um, a fascinating study from Japan that you quoted in the book that looked at the relationship between laughter and breastfeeding mothers, breast milk, and the incidence of allergies in their babies. Tell us about that. All I can tell you is that what, is what the research says. I really wouldn't be able to explain that. And there's lots and lots of things about laughter that's been researched that's, that's pretty incredible. Uh, for instance, at Oxford University, um, Professor Robin Dunbar did studies into pain and laughter. And laughter makes us more, more tolerant or resistant to pain. So it can, that's another benefit of uh, going to a laughter club and, and participating in laughter as an exercise. If you're having pain, it, it makes probably a lot of it to do with the endorphins that, that are released during laughter. But afterwards, there's, um, people are, are more tolerant to pain or feel pain less, and that can last for some time. So there's all sorts of really... Um, it's going to say, well, yeah, it's quite strange things that, that laughter can do. Although having said that, is it strange? Because, you know, laughter is part of our DNA. We, we, when we're born, when we're just a few weeks old, we start to smile and we start to laugh. 
long before we understand humour, before we can talk, before we can walk. So it, nature has prioritised laughter as obviously a very, very important thing. And um, so perhaps the strangest thing is that as we grow up in our culture, we tend to do far less of it, when actually, probably, we should be doing more of it. Mm. Well, getting back to that study from Japan, the thing that um, I was so struck by was that um, the children from mothers who were actually advised or, or instructed to watch humorous films, um, the babies had much less eczema than the control group who were equivalent in every other way. Mm -hmm. And it reminded me of some dairy in the United States that used to have the slogan, milk from contented cows. And apparently it really <laughs> does make a difference. I wonder how you measure how contented the cow is. I wonder whether what perhaps was happening with the mothers and the breastfeeding. Um, we know that when mothers breastfeed, they pass on their antibodies to their babies. So perhaps the, um, the laughter was increasing their own immune system. And this is just me guessing, by the way. This is not any, any, this is just what I'm deducing and wondering whether that might be the case. But, mm -hmm. um, yes, fascinating, isn't it? There were a lot of fascinating, uh, studies that you cited in the book. And, uh, I'm a kind of a science nerd, so I really, really enjoyed them. It was interesting. I was driving home last night and I heard a TED talk. And the TED Talk was actually talking about laughter and yeah. um, about the connection, the, the um, equivalency that you also cite in the book between smiling and eating chocolate. That's pretty <laughs> mind <laughs> Do yeah. you remember those statistics? Sorry. Do you remember Sorry, the statistics of I, I, one I smile being equivalent? Sorry. Well, it, it was something like um, one smile gives you the equivalent hormonal cascade and endorphins of something like 16 bars of chocolate. It was a huge amount, wasn't it? Or, or a very large amount of money, I, I seem to remember. It, oh, and it again, was 16,000 I mean, pounds they made, Sorry? It was 16,000 pounds of money. Yes. Or, or yeah. lots of chocolate. Lots of chocolate. Um, yeah, again, very difficult to understand how they actually measured that. I mean, did anybody actually eat that amount of chocolate or did they actually give anybody that amount of money? But, <laughs> but I like the thought. Um, Good question. Especially the chocolate. It is interesting. I think, um, chocolate is something that gives the serotonin, which is very much... is not fattening and maybe chocolate is. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it depends on how addicted you are. I, I have a friend who um, absolutely would fall into that category. Mm -hmm. So, um, tell, tell us about the School of Ancient Wisdom. Oh, uh, yeah, so this is where I, this is in Bangalore, 
which is where I went to do my training with Dr. Guitaria. And it's unlike anywhere I've ever been. It's like um, in the, the busyness of India, and most cities in India are very busy and very noisy, it's probably the most tranquil place I've ever been. It was like an oasis. And um, it consisted of lots of um, bungalows where we stayed. Most of the food that we ate was grown on the premises. It was the place that I've ne I love birds, and, and living in England, that's one of the nice things. That we have lots of lovely songbirds in the garden. But the noise from the birds in this place was extraordinary. And, in fact, the first night I stayed there, I woke up, you know, with the first light, and the sound of these birds in the tree, it was almost as though it was a recording. I had to go outside and, and listen for myself. And it was just wonderful. So we stayed there, um, over 20 of us from different countries all around the world, and, um, and basically last for um, five days while we did our training. And I probably laughed more in those five days than I had in the rest of my life put together. It wouldn't surprise me. Certainly I'd never laughed for extended periods of time like I did there. And it was just a wonderful, wonderful experience, a beautiful place. What I found interesting about your description was how skeptical you were at the beginning and how you felt a bit of a fraud. How did you get over that? Yes, well, I, of course, you know, I went off on this whim, and I went off with the, you know, you were saying you like the scientific nerdy things, but I went with that sort of attitude. I was armed with notebooks and pens and... Um, and, of course, it's a very non-cognitive practice. And everybody there had been to laughter yoga or taught laughter yoga or, you know, they, they all had great experience with it. I'd never done it at all. I just knew the concept. And I have to be honest and say that at first I struggled with it. I really did. And I think the reason I struggled with it was because I was trying to analyze everything. And really, all you need to do to enjoy this sort of laughter is just to relax and allow it, um, not try and analyze what was going on with other people, with myself. And, and because everybody else got it and seemed so comfortable with it, I, I really struggled. And, and then later, and this was on the first day, but, but the first morning, the first part of the morning seemed very, very long to me. But actually, there was a part in the day when suddenly I sort of got it, and then I really got it. And then after that, there was no, no turning back. It was, it was just wonderful. And I have found that, you know, I've run my own laughter club here uh, for the last three years, and there, there's some people who get it in the first couple of minutes, and um, often they're unlikely people, you know, people that are very quiet and think, oh, you might struggle with this, and suddenly they become this, just this fountain of laughter. And for other people, it takes a while. But all you need to have, really, is a willingness. And it's just like anything else. It's like, it's like practice. And laughter, as, as we know, is so infectious. It's it's very difficult not to laugh when you're with groups of, of laughing people. And, and so in a way, when I look back on it, I think the reward I had from when I did find spontaneous laughter and was able to enjoy it was perhaps that, that 
that much sweeter having had the struggle in the first place. You had uh, people from all over the world in that group. Uh, do you think that there are cultural differences that make some cultures um, who are more reserved, more resistant to kind of letting go into the laughter yoga experience? Absolutely. There, there are so many cultural differences. And really, um, you know, coming from England, we're, we're renowned for our stiff upper lip and um, and still there are people who think that, you know, to, to be uninhibited with laughter is rather coarse, which is a good reason for having a laughter club because nobody there minds. You can laugh as much as you like. But interestingly, I still, you know, for the last oh, 20, 30 years, I, I've worked um, for an airline and I travel and still work for, for an airline part-time and I travel around the world and I see lots of different cultures, lots of people from different countries and there are extraordinary differences. There are some cultures where people tend not to laugh. When they do laugh, they cover their mouths. Um, other countries where, where laughter and smiling is, is so prevalent so, yeah, there's a lot of differences. I particularly was impressed that uh, the local pub publican uh, gave mm. you space for your laughter yoga club. What was yeah. it called, the Rosen Crown? The Rosen Crown, yes. They, <laughs> they are fabulous, and they've looked after us very, very well. And, um, yet, often people wonder what we've possibly been drinking that they've not had because <laughs> the laugh is so, so loud. And, uh, I'll it, have it's what they're having. Right. <laughs> well, we have yeah. to take a little break now, but uh, we will be back right after the break speaking with Leslie Lyle all the way from the New Forest in England, uh, talking about laughing your way to happiness. Miriam Knight is the founder and publisher of New Consciousness Review, a digital magazine and website at ncreview.com. For 15 years, Miriam's Beat has been covering the thinkers, books, and films inspiring conscious evolution towards greater health, happiness, empowerment, compassion, and connection. Browse the thousands of enlightening books, interviews, and videos on ncreview.com. You can connect with Miriam on Facebook or through the website. That's ncreview.com. been trying to get your attention? What will it take for you to start to listen? I'm Miriam Knight and I interviewed 37 individuals from all walks of life for our book What Wags the World? Tales of Conscious Awakening. In it they describe the cosmic two-by-fours that changed their lives and their answers may make you rethink your own ideas about the nature of reality. Available on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble or ask for it at your local bookstore. What Wags the World? Tales of Conscious Awakening.
back with Leslie Lyle speaking about Laugh Your Way to Happiness. I'm Miriam Knight, and we were talking before the break about the Rose and Crown, the pub that was so welcoming to the laughter uh, club in, uh, in the New Forest. And um, Leslie, how have you incorporated this in your practice as a hypnotherapist and a positive psychologist? Um, I, I suppose I, I've incorporated it naturally. Uh, I don't actually go around trying to make people laugh and you know and things like that. But I think I'm, I, my own personal development in the field of laughter is that I laugh a lot easier than I used to, and I appreciate how healing laughter is. And so even when uh, perhaps in a clinical environment. The conversation is difficult, or there's there's a problem. I know that if laughter can come in naturally, it it releases a lot. It's very healing. It's very helpful. And I've also learned, and I think perhaps we we could all remember this, but even when things are really really bad and dire, there's always humour. And in fact, in some of the worst scenarios you can imagine, there's nearly always a little bit that's funny. And um, and it's a great release, you know, it releases stress and, and anxiety. So uh, I'm m- more mindful of, of how precious laughter is, and uh, mm. I encourage it. And and I'm not talking about silly laughter now, but but just just the release of laughter. And um, the laughter sessions that I run, there's been lots of. I mean, most people come just because it's just such a fun experience and we just enjoy laughing together. But, you know, during the course of life, things happen to us. People become ill or be bereaved or have worries and anxieties. And it's so nice to be able to go somewhere and leave that behind. And I think that's another lesson that we can't be the same all the time. We can't be happy all the time. We can't be unhappy all the time. We can't be in pain all the time. But actually, when, when you are ill or you're in pain, you're aware of that far more than you are the absence of it. But people that come along to laughter sessions soon realize that for that hour, they can leave everything behind and they can improve their health. And even though they go back to the same situation that, that was there before, they're more resilient and they're recovered, they're rested, particularly good for carers. You know, people that have to look after somebody all the time to be able to come and just have a laugh and be themselves and have all these positive emotions. It's, it's such a good break for them. I wonder if that is one of the reasons behind the, the sort of centrality of drinking and the pub scene in England. It's where you let your hair down and you have a good laugh. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I'm sure. I mean, just the fact that if you're in a pub or anywhere, actually, in a group of people, laughter always happens much more likely to happen when you're in a large group of people. When we're on our own, we, we rarely laugh. Uh, so if we're watching something funny, for instance, on our own, we might smile, we might occasionally laugh. But when you're with a group of people, it's the infectiousness of laughter. Um, so that's one of the things about being in a group of people. And also um, re- 
relaxation. So when people are, as you say, letting their hair down, laughter comes a lot more easily. And this is one of the ironies because um, it's the people who really could do with a good laugh, the people that are living very stressful, chaotic and challenging lives that could really do with a laugh but that are least likely to laugh because, you know, life's too serious and they're too busy to consider it. But if they only knew for a few minutes of laughter how, how that would make them feel afterwards, then perhaps they would prioritize it. Now, you talk about smiling a lot. How beneficial is smiling in comparison to laughter? Well, I, smiling is, is, is terribly important, and it's really good. And it's, it's a precursor to, to laughter, really. So if you're smiling, I always think you're primed for laughter. You know, laughter comes a lot more easily. And in some ways, smiling has benefits uh, over laughter in as much as it's much easier to do um, in public and all the time. Um, you would look a bit strange if you went around laughing all day, but you can smile. And um, for some people who want to have more laughter in their life, that's where they need to start, start with smiling and make smiling a habit. And, and that's one of the things that I, uh, it comes from positive psychology as well, but I have in my, you know, in the clinical practice is, is to tell people to put little, you know, the little dots you can get from stationers, little coloured pieces of paper, to stick them in strategic places around the house, one on the mirror, one in the bathroom, one on your car keys. And every time you see that dot, to remember to smile. Because smiling is just a habit. A lot of people are in the habit of scowling and, and frowning, but you can actually turn that habit round into smiling. And again, you're sending a message to your brain, I'm relaxed, I'm happy, it's safe out there, and you can release some of those nice, happy chemicals for me. This goes back to what you were saying about faking it until you make it, because the, the smile really does... Uh, change your physiology. Yes, yes. And there's more and more research now that puts lots of things, um, how we stand and, and, and power poses. And uh, if you're watching TED Talks, I think it's only Cuddy who's on there talking about the research that um, they've done on, on power poses. But if you stand in a particular pose just for a couple of minutes, that's enough to send messages to your brain that you are feeling confident because you're standing in a confident way. And I have a friend who's a hypnotherapist, and one of the things he says to people is, go away and look at chimney pots. <laughs> it sounds bizarre, but they come back and they're extraordinarily happy. And the reason is they've spent a week with their head up, their shoulders back, looking up in the sky and sort of walking down, looking you know, literally downcast at their feet. So so what we do with our bodies definitely affects our mood um, and vice versa. So it's this lovely one causes the other, um, and it doesn't matter. So, you know, again, um, Dr. Katari is always saying this, when we're happy, we laugh, but when we laugh, we become happy. Mm. What can laughter do for anxiety and depression? Well, for anxiety, it releases it. Um, you know, we talk about the nervous laugh, don't we? I, I've spoken to um, ambulance drivers and um, people, and firemen, people that go to 
um, accidents. And it's really common that when people are in an accident, they laugh. And also, sometimes when you give somebody bad news, you know, it might be, oh, by the way, you've just failed your exam, and their, their reaction is to laugh. Not because it's funny, of course, but because that's nature's way of releasing some anxiety. So laughter is, is wonderful for people that are anxious. For people that are depressed, laughter is often difficult. And one of the great benefits, and I've worked with quite a few groups of people with depression, is that despite their depression, they find that they can laugh. And often they're very surprised because if we think it's a long time since we had a good laugh, for some of them they can't even remember the last time they laughed, and many of them have the belief that they probably never will. So it can be really, really transforming. It doesn't, it doesn't cure their depression, but it is nice to, to remember what it's like to laugh and to realize that actually it's not something that ever goes away. We, we never forget, we might forget to laugh, but we never forget how to. It's always there. It sort of opens the possibility of laughter in their lives once more, That's which they had totally yeah. given up on. Yeah. And it's, yes, it, and, and it gives them hope. And, um, and sometimes there's resistance. I've worked with people with depression that are sort of, this is a paradox. You know, how could I possibly ask when I've got depression? But we're not remembering in these laughter sessions, this isn't humor. We're not finding things funny. We're just laughing because we know it's good for us. And we mm -hmm. can just laugh for no reason. I, I noticed that you had some uh, lovely quotes at the beginning of your chapters, and I just want to read one from Chapter 6. It's by Milton Berle, Laughter is an instant vacation. And Phyllis okay. Diller said, A smile is a curve that sets everything straight. <laughs> I love that. Lastly, while we're um, uh, sort of paused, do you have a website where people can learn more about your book and about what you do? Yes, indeed. And it's LeslieLyle.com. And uh, it's L-E-S-L-E-Y-L-Y-L-E. Nearly all the same letters. That's obviously an English spelling, L-Y-L-E. And Leslie, yes. L-E-Y. Very good. That's the E-Y. So in England, it's E-Y for a girl and I-E for a boy. Aha. Uh -huh. That would be very confusing for Americans, American girls yeah. named Leslie. Yeah. So before the break, we were talking about the um, uh, use of applied uh, laughter that doesn't mm -hmm. necessarily have to reach the funny bone to have an effect. It will have a physiological effect just um, because of the triggers of muscles and neurons. Um, the, one thing that you mentioned in the book that I would like to bring out is the whole subject of mirror neurons. Can you tell us where, where they, what role they play? Mm. Well, uh, mirror neurons are, are really the way we understand how people feel. So when we see somebody express an emotion, we feel that emotion, and that helps us understand how they're feeling. So it's any emotion. But with laughter, um, we, with eye contact, we see somebody laugh, and 
and it affects us. That's why laughter is so so infectious. Um, but but other emotions are too, which is why you know when we watch Bambi, and and his mother dies in the fire, um, we get upset, even though we know it's actually drawing <laughs> and it's not real. Um, we still empathise with, with what's going on. With laughter, um, the eye contact is what makes it infectious. So we see somebody laugh, and that triggers our brain to mirror, literally mirror what they're, they're expressing, and then we feel the same too, and, and then we, we laugh too. And um, it's the same with smiling. And again, they've, they've done research that if you see a smiling face, you will smile too, even if you don't see it on the face, because you, you can you can decide not to smile. But um, when they've done this experiment and they've sort of um, traced the, the muscles of the face, they see that they the, the ones associated with smiling actually sort of twitch, even though you can't see it with the eye. So so that's that's the thing about mirror neurons. You were talking about the difference between um, a smile that reaches the eyes and one that doesn't, you know, kind of a, a smile that you can tell is faked versus a smile that is sincere. And I found it extraordinary that there is actually a website in the UK that you can go to and see how well you can distinguish between a fake smile and a real smile. Yeah, who would think that? Have you done it? No, I haven't. But I was curious it. about it. Yes, and it's, it's amazing how we know. We, we can tell the difference, even though we don't know how we know. It's very strange, and it's the same with with laughter as well. We can. Um, there's been some research recently that people can tell the difference between fake and real laughter, and we don't know exactly how we know, but we, we can just tell. We're just so attuned to it. But even though um, there are different sorts of smiling, still putting the mouth, there's one technique if, if, um, if you want to smile without smiling is to put um, a pencil horizontally between your teeth. So you could do that when you were driving if you wanted to. And that puts the mouth into the smiling position. So it's not the same as a real smile. But it still has a, a positive effect on on your mood. I was very intrigued by the fact that you wrote a book that sometimes for your anxiety or depression clients, um, you will give them a hypnotic suggestion to smile. How does that work mm. for them? And it, it really is as simple as that, that um, the, the, the suggestion is that you will join the day, you'll feel calm, you can sort of induce feelings of calmness and that you will find that you smile more. And, and I think this suggestion is taken up by the unconscious mind because, because it is so beneficial. And um, it's one of those um, accumulative things. If you smile more, you feel in a better mood. If you're in a better mood, you're more likely to smile. And as I said before, if you're smiling, you're far more likely to laugh. And people find people that smile and laugh attractive. Um, I don't mean in the romantic sense, but it you know, makes common sense, really. If you were going to be with somebody who had a, 
a happy, smiley face or a scowling, miserable face, um, it's usually better to be in the company of somebody who's smiling. And what happens, all these things sort of merge together so that people that are smiling and appear to be happy are happier and they become more successful. So, so happiness um, has, has a, a great deal to do with popularity and success in relationships at work, all areas of your life. And, of course, you feel better. So um, I can't really see many disadvantages to smiling <laughs> and being happier. And I don't mean in a sort of Pollyanna way. There are days when it would be totally inappropriate to be happy and smiling. But I think if you can be as happy as you can be each day with those circumstances that you face, you can't really ask any more than that. It's, it's reaching the potential that might be there. And some days, I'm, you know, I'm no different to anybody else. There's some days when I'm not as happy as others. You talked about coming back from India, uh, where you had been cut off from the news and the outside world in general. You were like in this little bubble of nirvana. And when you got back home, you determined to keep the news off because you found that you wanted to extend this stress-free environment. Let's talk a bit about about stressors in our society and the difference between good stress and bad stress? Well, yes. Um, a lot of difference between good and bad stress is perception. So sometimes, so for, let me give you an example. If you were going to give a speech in front of 500 people, you would get certain physiological uh, a, a certain physiological reaction to that, you'd get a release of adrenaline and cortisol and things like that. Um, depending on what you make of that, how you think about that, you might think, oh my goodness, I'm frightened to death, this is stressful, or you might think, oh, I'm really excited, because the physiological response is very much the same. It's the perception and it's the interpretation that makes the difference. So actually, Stress in itself isn't really bad for us, unless we think it's bad for us, and unless and, and also if there's no recovery from it. So having stress and recovering from it is actually quite good for us, and um, it's a normal sort of behaviour. It, when it's bad stress is when people have constant stress that they don't recover from, and that becomes chronic and then they're not going, having a relaxation response when they go into the parasympathetic nervous system where we do all our processing and recovery. So that mm. perception has an awful lot to do with it. Very interesting. Well, well, we'll return to that subject after the break, and we're going to take our last break now, um, and then we'll be right back speaking with Leslie Lyle about her book, Love Your Way to Happiness.
just been trying to get your attention? What will it take for you to start to listen? I'm Miriam Knight, and I interviewed 37 individuals from all walks of life for our book, What Wags the World? Tales of Conscious Awakening. In it, they describe the cosmic two-by-fours that changed their lives, and their answers may make you rethink your own ideas about the nature of reality. Available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble, or ask for it at your local bookstore. What Wags the World? Tales of Conscious Awakening. about laughter, laughter yoga, and her book, Laugh Your Way to Happiness. And Leslie, your website is your name, Leslie Lyle, that's L-E-S-L-E-Y, L-Y-L-E, what is it, dot co, dot U-K? Uh, no, dot com. Dot com, uh-huh, okay. Dot com. Mm-hmm. Very good. Before the break, we were speaking about good stress and bad stress, and Unfortunately, our society finds many, many ways to stress us. Mm. Um, and laughter yoga is really a, a, a perfect antidote to the, the stress of the times. But what happens if you don't have a club nearby, Leslie? Is this something you can do on your own? Yes, you can. Um, I would say it's, it's more difficult. I mean... You can you can certainly smile. Um, that, that's pretty easy. And as I say, if you you leave yourself reminders because it is a habit, you know. Um, then when you get into the habit of smiling, it, it's just another habit, a, a better one. Um, you can laugh on your own, and the perception is, and I, I was the same before I went and changed with Doctor Katari, is that we can't laugh unless there's something or somebody to make us laugh but actually it's, it's totally incorrect we can just choose to laugh at any moment so what i suggest to people because it's it's a very strange concept for us um but the car is the perfect environment to experiment with laughter because this is a car that you're in on your own <laughs> not in a taxi or anything so when you're driving to work if you've got nothing better to do try laughing, just laugh for no reason. And when people say, well, I couldn't possibly do that, I remind them that what would you do if you were an actress and you had to, or an actor and you had to pretend to be amused? So they, suddenly they say, oh yes, I can do that. So you can just, you can just pretend to laugh and you can experiment. And the funny thing is, when you start to laugh frequently um, in, in laughter clubs and things, you discover different sorts of laughs have um it's like a whole new language of laughter it's, it's quite strange and um interesting to to hear different laughs come out so you can you can practice um manic laughter or royal laughter or nervous laughter or oh I mean, so it goes on and on 
and different parts of your body as well. So you can laugh sort of, you know, the higher register, the <laughs> and, and the very low sort of Father Christmas, ho, 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 ho. doesn't matter what you do or what you're thinking about, your body will respond to it. If you can do that for about three minutes, you will really notice a difference. You uh, talk about some of the exercises that they gave you to do in India at the workshop, and one of yes. them was speaking in gibberish. Uh, yes. Why? Why is that effective? What's it good for? Well, it's it's just it's like speaking and expressing yourself without thinking, because we we live so much in our you know using our frontal cortex and we overthink things. So it's, it's a great it's unusual. I'm not terribly good at it. Some people are very, very good at it. That's something else I practice in the car, by the way. But, but a story that I really like um, of somebody that told me that they had had a very acrimonious divorce and they were very, very angry with their ex-husband, but they needed to see him frequently because they had children together. And she felt she'd never really expressed how she felt about him because every time she wanted to bring up particular subjects that she needed, she felt she needed to express to, to get over it. Uh, it would end up in an argument. And then she said that one day she said to him, can I talk to you in gibberish? And he said, yes, but it was a bit strange. And she said she spent about five or ten minutes telling him every single thing that he'd ever done that had hurt her or upset her or made her frustrated or cross. And she also told him, you know, nice things as well and how sad she was. She said everything she wanted to say, but in total gibberish. And he had, he listened to her without any reaction, which was a first. And she said from that moment onwards, their relationship was cordial. I wouldn't say it was warm particularly. But the most important thing was that she felt it was a very healing thing to do. Mm -hmm. You talk about um, happiness, about two different types of happiness. Well, do you have any handle on the secret to happiness? Oh, the secret to happiness. <laughs> um, yeah, I probably think I do. Um, one of the things is, is not taking yourself too, too seriously, to appreciate what you have, to be grateful for what there is, and to be present in the moment, one of the illusions of happiness is that it, it's a goal or a destination. So rather than try to be happy, I often think it's best to try to be happier. And for some people, you know, it depends on your life circumstances how, how happy you can be sometimes. But if you can be your happiest for you, for who you are, where you are, what you have, uh, again, I don't think you can ask for any more. But happiness is something that's only experienced in the present moment. So it's an illusion to think that when I get promoted, when I get a new car, when I move house, when I get married, divorced, whatever, then I'll be happy. Every time you think that, you're actually cheating yourself out of the happiness now. That's not to say you won't be happy when those things happen, but sometimes people put happiness on a hold, waiting for them to happen. You know, you probably heard about people, you know, when I retire, I'll be happy. But, you know, meanwhile, I'll spend the next 10 years working really hard. So one of the secrets of happiness is, uh, is I think, just to 
be present and uh, to, to appreciate it. And then the different types of happiness that you refer to in positive psychology, we, we talked about hedonic happiness, which is pleasure, which is very um, instant. Eating an ice cream is hedonic. And eudaimonic happiness, which is when we do things for no reason or, or things make us happy without there being a particular motive. So appreciation, enjoying mm. a sunset or just a moment with being with friends. And, well, a, and a mix of the two is, is very nice, and that will bring you a, a balanced. And it's looking for happiness inside rather than outside. Wonderful, wonderful wisdom in this book. Laugh Your Way to Happiness by Leslie Lyle. Um, and her website is lesleylyle.com. Leslie, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, Miriam, thank you. It's been a pleasure. And I hope you'll join me next week when my guest will be Ruth Miller, a futurist who will be talking about the Gaia Living Systems Institute. Well, I hope you, I invite you to go to ncreview.com, our website, where the spring issue is now out. And I hope you'll join us next week. Until then, I'm Miriam Knight for New Consciousness Review. Be good to yourself, do good in the world, and let your light shine. <laughs>